0: and we're back with hypothermia part two so we'll continue the stages of hypothermia the severity of hypothermia cases have been categorized in various ways often into mild moderate, and severe hypothermia one way that is often seen is a categorization based on core temperature for the outdoors person a pitfall with Categorization based on body core temperature is that it's not possible to monitor internal body temperature in the field and if you are a very good friend using a retro thermometer while on the slopes of Ben McDewey is not practical. Further using temperature alone as a diagnostic tool has the potential to be misleading. A drop in core temperature will affect every part of your body's system, so we must look into the signs of hypothermia for these changes. Mild hypothermia. An early sign of being co- too cold is shivering. Shivering increases your metabolic heat production to a level between two and six times that of your normal resting rate. That has a short-term and warming benefit on your body, but it reduces energy stores in the body. and the long term, This energy depletion adds to your deterioration by contributing to eventual exhaustion. When your body detects it is starting to cool down below its normal temperature, it fairly quickly starts to shiver. So it is a good early indicator of potential hypothermia. Maximum shivering is reported to occur at body core temperatures at 35 degrees Celsius or 95 degrees Fahrenheit. If you or someone else is shivering, do something about it. Another relatively early sign can be cold, stiff, and or white hands and feet. This is due to vasoconstriction, a reduction in blood supply to the area. This is one of your body's reactions to cold intended to keep heat in your core. If your hands are white, cold, or stiff, it is a warning sign that your whole body is too cold. Again, do something about it. As hypothermia takes greater hold, there will be likely a significant reduction in manual dexterity, which, if on your own, could mean you are no longer able to help yourself. Also, hypothermia progressively reduces mental function, the early signs of which are often missed. The first signs are mood changes, irritability, and or social withdrawal. This is really important but hard to spot in a group. You have to notice who isn't noticeable. Spot the one who has disappeared amongst the group. Weather conditions can often blunt your ability to observe your companions and you yourself may be battling to cope with elements to keep warm. For example, misty conditions, typical conditions under which you have to be vigilant signs of hypothermia. Even mild hypothermia can reduce your ability to look after yourself or your companions. Studies have shown even mild core cooling to the temperatures in the range of 34 degrees Celsius, 93%, 93 degrees Fahrenheit, to 36 degrees Celsius, to 97% or degree Fahrenheit, will impair mental function. And as you get colder, things get worse. For each one degree Celsius drop in core temperature from 35 to 25, your brain metabolism drops between 6% to 10%. Decreased mental function translates into poor decision making indecision, irrational behavior, confusion, and forgetfulness, all dangerous falling and all dangerous failings in the great outdoors. Your heart rate and blood pressure will likely have increased at this stage. It won't be possible to detect this and others, particularly since exertion and fear promote similar responses. Nor is it likely that you will be able to Discern this in yourself since it will be tangled up with other feelings, concerns, people often describe a sense of anxiety at this stage. Let's get into moderate hypothermia. As the victim's body's core temperature continues to drop, their mental function and physical coordination will further reduce. Weakness, stumbling, and repeated falling are typical. They may be disoriented. They may be forgetful or irrational. They may appear drunk. Their behavior may be bizarre. A good way of grouping some of the increased clumsiness and uncoordinated behavior at the hypothermia victim can go through is remembering them as the as the umbles, characterized by grumbles, mumbles, fumbles, stumbles, and tumbles. Shivering may still be present, although there have been cases, serious cases, at you know at that, where the victim has seemingly progressed to stumbling, repeatedly falling in stupor without their companions even noticed any shivering. This could be due to a lack of observation on the part of the companions, or it could be related to the victim's hypothermia being precipitated by exhaustion. Maybe they didn't have the energy to shiver. Certain experiments have shown that once blood sugar drops below a certain level, shivering ceases. Now, let's look into severe hypothermia. As they continue to cool, the hypothermia victim will range from being lethargic to losing consciousness to comatose. Their lips and possibly fingers will be blue. Shivering is likely to have ceased, and they will almost certainly be exhausted. Their temperature will plummet as the heat generated from shivering, shivering ceases. The muscles will become stiff. As their temperature drops, their pulse will slow and weaken. Blood pressure will drop and the breathing rate will also slow. It may be impossible to fill a pulse. Now let's go into the worst case scenario, deep hypothermia. The casualty may appear dead, and indeed they might be. Cardiac arrest often occurs with a body core temperature between 28 degrees Celsius and 25 degrees Celsius. For those of us in America, that's 82.4 degrees Fahrenheit and 77.4 degrees Fahrenheit. Even if the casualty appears dead, however, it may be because vital signs are impossible to discern in the field. The lowest recorded core temperature from which someone has been successively resuscitated, that means brought back to life, is 13.7 degrees Celsius or 56.7 degrees Fahrenheit. There's an old adage, a person is not dead until they are warm and dead. Now, hypothermia does show variation. That fitting signs and symptoms into into core, basically looking at these signs and symptoms and putting them into classifications of mild and moderate, it's based on experiments involving the immersion of people into cold water now i can tell you from experience that's not good but there is slight variation in other words some people might have some symptoms at one stage and they shouldn't or some people should have you know some symptoms at another stage that they don't they could switch back and forth (coughs) pardon me for that i do apologize now what you might observe on your companions on a wet and windy day in October on the slopes of a mountain, could be different to the above. Experiments suggests maximal shivering occurs at body core temperature, which we've been over 95 degrees Fahrenheit, but rescuers have reported no shivering and some hypothermia casualties at the temperature sh- you know, where they're sp- not supposed to be, as in 88 degrees Fahrenheit, even down to 84 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, unconsciousness normally comes between 91 degrees Fahrenheit and 80 degrees Fahrenheit. But some patients have been verbally responsive down to 79, a temperature which others, a lot of others have died. So that tells you right there to take this seriously, that hypothermia can, you know, has different signs for different people. I know a couple of X's that was cold to the bone. You know what I'm saying? You should also bear in mind that the signs and symptoms are, in reality, a continuum. A sliding scale between feeling a bit chilly and death. The stages of hypothermia are something we humans have invented to help diagnose and relate to how bad the case is. Now that we know we've been over the signs, the symptoms, the different stages, let's look at how to treat it. Now. Prevention is far, far better than cure. Hypothermia is difficult to remedy in the field. At the end of the, so basically, at the end of the day, do what you gotta do to not get it. Okay, and if anyone in your party shows the slightest sign or symptom of hypothermia, act immediately. As with the rest of bushcraft practitioners, dealing with hypothermic casualty is about the art of the possible. You do not have an emergency room at your disposal. So basically, let's get into the primary aim and the treatment of a hypothermic casualty in the field. Okay, one, prevent further heat loss. Okay, that could be warming them up. That could be addressing environmental factors. That could be addressing mechanisms that is making them colder, whether it's conduction, convection, evaporation, radiation, and respiration. Okay? Now, one thing you want to do is rewarm them. Okay? Now, what you need to remember is the maximum rate at which the person should be rewarmed is the rate at which they cooled. If they become cold quickly, you can rewarm them quickly. If they cool down slowly, they should be re- rewarmed slowly. otherwise, if you don't rewarm them properly, you may kill them no that 's just straight up truth now let 's get into exposure hypothermia. And how to treat that so basically, rewarming a hypothermic person in the field is difficult, even for mild cases, and becomes virtually impossible with more severe cases. Field treatment, which is you know, being in the, in the woods, this heads into extremely difficult territory once they become unconscious. If the person is unconscious, then you should prioritize as per the basic life support protocols from your first aid training, if you have it, and I recommend you should. The casualty, in other words, the person that has hypothermia must be evacuated. Now, when you get into treating mild hypothermia, remember, again, you have to prevent further heat loss, warm layers, a hat, a scarf, gloves, put all this on them, and get them out of cold, wet, windy conditions. Now, that's common sense. Okay, if someone's mobile and alert, not exhausted, but they're showing signs of shivering, white hands, feet, then you have to have an activity to increase uh, heat production. Yeah, you, know, you don't want them. You don't want them to come exhausted, so you don't want them out there doing push-ups or side straddle hops. So what you can do is give them some sugary food and a warm, sweet drink because that, the sugar is going to kick in and not and prevent a low blood blood sugar. Okay. But you don't want it to be stupid. In other words, like you don't want to give them chocolate, spot their blood sugar, then have it fall. You need to do a, a sugar, like a little bit of sugar with a little bit of protein, okay? So in other words, make some hot chocolate with like peanut butter or a peanut butter sandwich, peanut butter crackers. If you don't have that, you know, a piece of candy and a, a little bit of jerky, Okay. Now, when it comes to the drink, sweet is more important than warm. You know, in other words, and you know, have them put on like a wool hat or something. All you're trying to do is prevent them from losing heat more rapidly. You know, bring them inside, put them in their tent. Their, you know, get them out of the weather as much as you possibly can. Now, if the victim is moody, irritable, withdrawn you know, you're going to have to kind of deal with it so you can gain their corporation. Okay? They will probably tell you, I don't need any help. I don't need any anything. In other words, they're hangry. Basically, their blood sugar's dropping, they're in a pissy mood, and they don't want to deal with you. But you're going to have to be diplomatic, get them to take a little something for their low blood sugar, get them to put on some clothes, get them warmed up, And just make sure that they're not dehydration in other words dehydrated you want them to drink that's where the beverage comes in now you got to kind of make this you know you got to judge by the 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 signs and the symptoms of what they're having and what you need to do okay now if the person is completely not not completely gone and what i mean by that is they're not fully alert they're passing in and out of consciousness. you got to employ what you call a spontaneous rewarming, also known as passive rewarming. Basically lay that person horizontally on the ground, cover them with a blanket, sleeping bag, insulated material, get them inside. When I say ground, I you know lay them down not on bare ground, but you know in their tent, whatever. You know, minimize the heat loss due to conduction, convection, evaporation, radiation, and respiration. And then you gotta let them rewarm as their body, basically, once their body stops losing heat, it's gonna start generating heat. And they're gonna work through the stages. You know, nine times out of ten. Okay, pop them in a survival bag, but do it, do it responsibly put on their spare clothes everybody should bring them you know so that's what you need to do you know is make sure they're insulated from the ground and a sleeping mat on some rucks you know some rucksacks on some branches on some leaves some spare clothing anything that reduces conductive heat loss okay wrap them up in it get them inside where you know they're no longer you know going through that now, let's look at what they call the hypothermia wrap. You know, it's part of spontaneous rewarming. Basically, it's a sleeping bag, it's a bibi bag, spare clothing, first aid, you know, training exercise. You know, basically get them wrapped in there. Okay? And you're going to have to probably do it because. Once they get to the umbles, they're not going to have the ability to do it themselves. Okay? That's what you got to look at is, you know, once they get to the mumbles, you're doing it all yourself. You know? And one thing, too, is once they get to um, when their hands is white and it's cold, then the blood on them is going to be constricted and therefore it's going to be cold. So don't warm the hands and feet up right away. Get their core done and let their own body heat warm their hands and their feet. You know, so you don't overdo it like with the drink. You don't want it hot. You want it warm. If they're losing consciousness or anything like that, then don't give them anything to drink because it could get in their airway. So you know one thing too is you don't want to put them next to the fire like real close or next to a stove because that open that basically does it opens up the blood vessels too soon. So it's called active external warming from a fire and it can be lethal. If you take cold blood and you put it into your core right away, that's not a good thing. Okay? So what you need to do also is if they're wearing wet clothes, if they're wearing cotton and it's wet, strip them down. You know, get them somewhere where you can get them warmed up. But you don't want, basically the colder they get, you have to kind of baby them because their heart is more sensitive to like shocks. And you can send send one straight into a heart attack and you don't want to do that. Okay, now once you get into uh, beyond mild and moderate in the field, you have to evacuate them. They have to. Emergency care is now the only option. Even if they feel dead, they're not dead until they're warm and dead. Okay, so that is hypothermia part two. So stick around for next week for the part three. Remember as always, Matt with Mescal Mountains. I love you.